When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I'm Ted O'Connell, author of USMLE Step 2 Secrets and Chief Content Officer for Inside the Boards. This is the Step 2 Secrets podcast, where we provide you the high-yield content from Step 2 Secrets in audio format, as well as question breakdowns so you can study on the go and get back to reclaiming some of your life. Hello, everyone. I'm Patrick Beeman, host of the Inside the Boards podcast. This is the USMLE Step 2 Secrets podcast, here today with a question from Elsevier's Clinical Key. A 54-year-old African-American male presents to his physician with a chief complaint of morning headaches, nausea, diaphoresis, and tremulousness. These symptoms started one week prior and seemed to improve after eating breakfast. His medical history significant for type 2 diabetes diagnosed three years prior. Initially, he was started on gliburide monotherapy. Increasingly poor glycemic control led to the substitution of a two-drug regimen of metformin and split-dose regular and long-acting insulin 10 days prior to presentation. His vital signs are normal as well as his physical exam. Which of the following is most likely to explain this patient's symptoms? Is it A, autoantibodies against insulin receptors? B. Excess exogenous insulin, C. Gliburide discontinuation, or D. Insulinoma. And the correct answer here is choice B. Excess exogenous insulin. The most likely explanation for this patient's symptoms is morning hypoglycemia caused by recent changes in the medication. It's simple. An excessive dose of long-acting bedtime insulin most likely explains the patient's symptoms of morning preprandial hypoglycemia, hence his symptoms approving after he eats. Choice A, autoantibodies against insulin receptors. So in patients with chronic fasting hypoglycemia, you might consider a workup to investigate stimulating autoantibodies against insulin receptors. But the acute nature of this patient's condition in the setting of a recent medication change makes this explanation less likely, right? got to think clinically. Choice C, gliburide discontinuation. Again, the most likely explanation for this patient's symptoms is morning hypoglycemia caused by medication changes. Gliburide discontinuation may precipitate rebound hyperglycemia, but would not cause hypoglycemia. And then finally, choice D was an insulinoma. Ah, this is a fun diagnosis. But in a patient with chronic fasting hypoglycemia, insulinoma 
while it should be considered, the acute nature of this patient's condition in the setting of a recent medication change make insulinoma less likely. So basically, common things are common. A dose of long-acting bedtime insulin that exceeds the patient's therapeutic range may cause morning preprandial hypoglycemia. And now, let's learn more on the Step 2 Secrets podcast. This is Ted O'Connell, and this is the endocrinology chapter from USMLE Step 2 Secrets, 5th edition. Question 1. What are the common signs and symptoms of hyperthyroidism? Signs include enlarged thyroid gland, warm skin, thyroid stare and lid lag, exophthalmos, proptosis, ophthalmoplegia in Graves' disease, pretibial myxedema in Graves' disease, tremor, tachycardia, and atrial fibrillation. Check TSH when patients present with new-onset atrial fibrillation. Symptoms include nervousness, anxiety, irritability, insomnia, heat intolerance, sweating, palpitations, tremors, weight loss with increased appetite, fatigue, weakness, hair loss, emotional lability, and diarrhea. Question 2. What are the most common causes of hyperthyroidism? The most common cause is Graves' disease, which is characterized by a diffusely enlarged thyroid gland, positive thyroid-stimulating immunoglobulins and antibodies, exophthalmos, proptosis, ophthalmoplegia, and pretibial myxedema. In elderly patients, look for toxic multinodular goiter, which are individual lumps instead of diffuse enlargement of the gland and hot nodules on thyroid nuclear scan. Other causes include adenoma, a single lump that is hot on a nuclear scan, subacute thyroiditis, look for a viral infection with tender, painful thyroid gland, and factitious hyperthyroidism, in which the patient takes thyroid hormone. Rare exotic causes include amiodarone, which can cause hypo or hyperthyroidism, TSH-producing pituitary tumor, thyroid carcinoma, and struma ovarii, an ovarian teratoma that secretes thyroid hormone. Question 3. Describe the classic laboratory pattern of hyperthyroidism. The TSH level is low unless the patient has a TSH-secreting tumor, whereas T3 and T4 are increased. Question 4. How is hyperthyroidism treated? Short-term stabilizing treatment includes PTU and methimazole-slash-carbimazole, which can be used as suppressive agents. In pregnancy, PTU is recommended in the first trimester with transition to methimazole at the start of the second trimester. Beta blockers are used in the setting of thyroid storm, a severe hyperthyroid state which is an emergency. Iodine can also suppress the thyroid gland through negative feedback, but can only be given after administering antithyroid medication and steroids to reduce conversion of T4 to T3 during thyroid storm. Definitive or curative treatment. Radioactive iodine ablation of the thyroid gland is typically used. Surgery is preferred in pregnant patients. Hypothyroidism may result from either treatment. If so, it's treated with thyroid hormone replacement for life. Question 5. What are the signs and symptoms of hypothyroidism? Signs include bradycardia, 
dry, coarse, cold, and pale skin, periorbital and peripheral edema, coarse, thin hair, thick tongue, slow speech, decreased reflexes, hypertension, carpal tunnel syndrome and paresthesias, vitiligo, pernicious anemia, and diabetes. Remember the autoimmune association between these three conditions and Hashimoto disease. And finally, you can see coma in severe hypothyroidism. Symptoms include weakness, lethargy, fatigue, cold intolerance, weight gain with anorexia, constipation, loss of hair, hoarseness, menstrual irregularity, myalgias and arthralgias, memory impairment, and dementia. Always rule out hypothyroidism as a cause of dementia. In children, congenital hypothyroidism may occur, resulting in mental, motor, and growth retardation. Question six, what are the common causes of hypothyroidism? The most common known cause is Hashimoto thyroiditis. Women of reproductive age outnumber men eight to one. Histology reveals lymphocytes in the thyroid gland, as well as antithyroid and antimicrosomal antibodies. Other autoimmune diseases may coexist. The associated goiter is non-tender. The second most common cause is iatrogenic after treatment of hyperthyroidism. Other less common causes include iodine deficiency, amiodarone, lithium, and secondary hypothyroidism due to pituitary or hypothalamic failure. Look for decreased TSH, such as is seen with Sheehan syndrome, which is hypopituitarism caused by pituitary necrosis from blood loss and hypovolemic shock during and after childbirth. Question 7. Describe the laboratory findings in hypothyroidism. Elevated TSH, unless there's a secondary causes, decreased T3 and T4, antithyroid and antimicrosomal antibodies, if it's due to Hashimoto thyroiditis, hypercholesterolemia, and anemia, which may be due to chronic disease or coexisting pernicious anemia. Question 8. Why is free T4 or free T4 index better than total T4 for measuring thyroid hormone activity? Free T4 or free T4 index measures the active form of thyroid hormone. Many conditions cause a change in the amount of thyroid binding globulin, thus changing total T4 levels in the absence of hypo or hyperthyroidism. Common examples include pregnancy, estrogen therapy, and oral contraceptive pills, all of which increase thyroid binding globulin, or TBG. Nephrotic syndrome, cirrhosis, and corticosteroid treatment all decrease TBG. T3 resin uptake is an older test that is not worth the effort to learn for step two, but if you're asked, it should rise or fall in the same way as free T4. Although an oversimplification, this principle should serve you well on the exam. Question 9. How is hypothyroidism treated? With T4 or thyroxin. T3 should not be used. In elderly patients, it is important to start low and go slow because overtreatment can be dangerous. Question 10. What is sick euthyroid syndrome? Any patient with any illness may have temporary derangements in thyroid function tests that resemble hypothyroidism. TS ranges from normal to mildly elevated. 
and serum T4 ranges from normal to mildly decreased. Clinical circumstances and physical findings are the best guides to whether the patient has true hypothyroidism. In patients with sick euthyroid syndrome, simply treat the underlying illness. If the diagnosis is in doubt, either remeasure thyroid tests after the patient recovers, which is preferred, or try an empiric dose of levothyroxine if the patient does not respond to treatment of the underlying illness. Question 11. What are the signs and symptoms of Cushing syndrome? Signs include buffalo hump, truncal obesity, central obesity with wasting of the extremities, round plethoric facies, purplish skin striae, acne, hirsutism, weakness, especially of the proximal muscles, hypertension, depression, psychosis, peripheral edema, poor wound healing, glucose intolerance or diabetes, osteoporosis, and hypokalemic metabolic alkalosis due to mineral corticoid effects of certain corticosteroids. Growth may be stunted in children. Symptoms include weight gain, changes in appearance, easy bruising, acne, hirsutism, emotional lability, depression, psychosis, weakness, menstrual changes, sexual dysfunction, insomnia, and memory loss. What causes Cushing syndrome? The most common cause is iatrogenic, since steroids are frequently prescribed. The second most common is Cushing disease, a pituitary adenoma that secretes adrenocorticotropic hormone, or ACTH, which causes roughly 60% of non-iatrogenic cases. Women of reproductive age outnumber men 5 to 1. Other causes include ectopic ACTH production, classically by small cell lung cancer, which is more common in men, and adrenal adenomas or carcinomas, which are more common in children. Question 13. How is Cushing syndrome diagnosed? The first test is either a 24-hour measurement of free cortisol in urine, free cortisol levels are abnormally elevated, or a dexamethasone suppression test. Cortisol levels are not appropriately suppressed several hours after administration of dexamethasone. Random cortisol level is an inappropriate test because of wide inter- and intrapatient variations. Remember that ACTH is elevated in Cushing disease, but decreased with an adrenal adenoma. If ACTH is increased, an MRI of the brain should be obtained to look for a pituitary adenoma. If ACTH is decreased and the patient has no history of taking steroids, an abdominal CT scan or MRR scan should be obtained to look for an adrenal tumor. Primary cancer is usually obvious when ectopic ACTH is the cause. For example, there's associated weight loss, hemoptysis with a lung mass on chest radiograph in patients with small cell lung cancer. Treatment is based on the cause and usually involves surgery. Question 14. What are the signs and symptoms of hypoadrenalism or Addison disease? Signs include hypotension, hyperkalemia, hyponatremia, hyperpigmentation, but only if the pituitary is functioning because of melanocyte-stimulating hormone, nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, mild fever, hypoglycemia, acidosis, eosinophilia, and shock. Symptoms include anorexia, weight loss, weakness, and apathy. 
Question 15. What is the most common type of hypoadrenalism? Secondary or iatrogenic hypoadrenalism due to steroid treatment. People who are removed from long-term steroid therapy may be unable to secrete an appropriate amount of corticosteroids in response to stress for up to one year. Watch out for the classic post-operative patient who crashes with hypotension, shock, and hyperkalemia shortly after surgery and has a history of a disease requiring steroid therapy within the past year. You may assess ACTH, which is usually high, and cortisol levels, which are inappropriately low, to help make the diagnosis, but do not wait for the results to give steroids. The patient may die. Give prophylactic stress doses of corticosteroids in the setting of an illness, operation, or other stressor to prevent an adrenal crisis. Question 16. What are the other causes of hypoadrenalism? The most common primary non-iatrogenic cause is autoimmune disease. Patients may have other autoimmune diseases, such as hypothyroidism, pernicious anemia, vitiligo, diabetes, or hypoparathyroidism. Other causes include metastatic cancer, especially lung cancer, infection, such as tuberculosis, fungal infections, opportunistic infection in AIDS and other immunosuppressed states, ketoconazole, and pituitary or hypothalamic failure. Question 17. How is hypoadrenalism diagnosed? An ACTH stimulation test can be done. Plasma cortisol is measured, ACTH is administered, and cortisol is measured again in one hour. The cortisol level should rise appropriately, usually 18 micrograms per deciliter or doubling of the baseline, depending on the baseline value. An inappropriate response to ACTH indicates hypoadrenalism. Do not withhold treatment to make a diagnosis if the patient is crashing. Question 18. Define hirsutism. What causes it? Hirsutism is a male hair growth pattern in women or prepubescent children. The most common cause is familial, genetic, or idiopathic hirsutism. But on the boards, watch for polycystic ovary syndrome, Cushing syndrome, and drugs such as minoxidil, phenytoin, and cyclosporin. These disorders do not produce virilization. If virilization, such as clitoral enlargement, deepening of the voice, or temporal balding accompanies the hirsutism, an androgen-secreting ovarian tumor, such as a Sertoli Leydig cell tumor or a renoblastoma, or an adrenal source, such as congenital adrenal hyperplasia, Cushing syndrome, or adrenal tumor, is likely. Question 19. What causes virilization in children? In female neonates, congenital adrenal hyperplasia is a likely cause of virilization. The classic example is a female infant born with ambiguous genitalia. However, the patient may also be a male child with precocious puberty. At least 90% of cases are due to 21-hydroxylase deficiency. Because 21-hydroxylase is involved in the production of both aldosterone and cortisol, children develop signs of hypoadrenalism with salt wasting, hypotension, hyperkalemia, hyponatremia, hypoglycemia, acidosis, and nausea and vomiting. Abnormally high levels of serum 17-hydroxyprogesterone or urinary 17-ketosteroids, DHEA sulfate, and androsterone 
along with decreased free cortisol in the serum, clinched the diagnosis. Give corticosteroids to prevent death. In older children, worry about a testosterone-secreting gonadal neoplasm. Question 20. What are the signs and symptoms of hyperparathyroidism? The same as those for hypercalcemia. Bones, stones, groans, and psychiatric overtones, which we'll review in just a moment. In primary cases, serum calcium is high, phosphorus is normal to low, and parathyroid hormone, PTH, is increased. In secondary cases, calcium is low. Question 21. What causes hyperparathyroidism? 90% of primary cases are due to a parathyroid adenoma, which can usually be confirmed with a nuclear medicine scan. Other causes include parathyroid hyperplasia and parathyroid carcinoma. Secondary cases include low calcium levels, such as from renal failure, to which an increase in PTH is a normal physiologic response. Tertiary hyperparathyroidism occurs when PTH has been elevated for too long, secondary to long-standing hypocalcemia, and continues to be oversecreted even when calcium is normalized with treatment. Translation, put all patients with renal failure on calcium supplements to prevent this complication. Question 22. What are the signs and symptoms of hypoparathyroidism? the same as those for hypocalcemia, tetany, and a prolonged QT interval on EKG, which we'll also discuss in a few moments. Calcium is low, phosphorus is high, and PTH is low. Question 23. What causes hypoparathyroidism? The most common cause is accidental removal or damage during thyroid surgery. Watch for tetany after thyroid surgery. Rare causes are genetic. Watch for DeGeorge syndrome in children with congenital absence of parathyroid glands, tetany in the first 48 hours of life, absent thymus gland, immunodeficiency, cardiac anomalies, and midline facial defects. Question 24. What are the signs and symptoms of hypercalcemia? Signs are shortened QT interval on EKG, weakness, polyuria, bone changes and kidney stones on radiograph, and renal failure. Symptoms are bones, stones, groans, and psychiatric overtones. In other words, bone resorption with osteomalacia and osteitis fibrosa cystica, kidney stones, abdominal pain secondary to nausea and vomiting, ileus, nephrolithiasis, peptic ulcer disease, constipation, or pancreatitis all of which are increased with hypercalcemia. And finally, emotional lability, delirium, depression, and or psychosis. Number 25, what causes hypercalcemia? In outpatients, the most common cause is hyperparathyroidism. In hospitalized patients, the most common cause is malignancy. The first test to order is the PTH, which helps differentiate hyperparathyroidism, high PTH, from other causes of hypercalcemia, such as malignancy, vitamin D intoxication, or thiazide diuretic use, all of which result in low PTH. Multiple types of cancers can cause hypercalcemia, but the classic board question involves either multiple myeloma or secretion of PTH-like hormone by a squamous cell carcinoma, especially in the lung. Question 26. 
Familial hypocalciuric hypercalcemia is characterized by hypercalcemia with low calcium levels in the urine, the opposite of other hypercalcemias. Other causes include vitamin A or D intoxication, sarcoidosis or other granulomatous diseases, and excessive calcium intake, called milk alkali syndrome. Question 26. What are the signs and symptoms of hypocalcemia? Signs include a prolonged QT interval on EKG, tetany, Schwarzsex sign, which is tetany elicited by tapping on the facial nerve to cause facial muscle contraction, Trousseau sign, which is carpopedal spasm caused by inflation of a blood pressure cuff or application of a tourniquet, dementia, depression, psychosis, seizures, and papilledema. Symptoms include paresthesias, the classic pattern is perioral or distal extremities, muscle aches, dementia, depression, and psychosis. Question 27. What causes hypocalcemia? Hypoparathyroidism, usually after thyroid gland surgery, pseudo-hypoparathyroidism, genetic end-organ unresponsiveness to PTH with normal PTH levels, shortened metacarpal bones, short stature, and intellectual disability, DeGeorge syndrome, vitamin D deficiency resulting in osteomalacia and rickets, renal failure of any cause and certain renal tubular problems, acute pancreatitis, it's one of the Ranson criteria, and secondary to hypomagnesemia. Hypoproteinemia of any cause may lead to low levels of total serum calcium, but levels of ionized calcium, the active form, are normal. In any patient with low serum calcium, the first step is to determine whether the serum albumin level is decreased. If it is, no treatment is required and no symptoms will develop. Question 28. What specific problems are caused by obesity? Obesity causes an increase in overall mortality and increases the risk for insulin resistance and diabetes, hypertension, hypertriglyceridemia, coronary artery disease, gallstones, sleep apnea and hypoventilation, osteoarthritis, thromboembolism, varicose veins, and cancer, especially endometrial cancer. Question 29. Define precocious puberty and pseudo-precocious puberty. True precocious puberty is defined as activation of the hypothalamic-pituitary axis with sexual maturation before the age of 8 years in females and before the age of 9 years in males. In pseudo-precocious puberty, secondary sex characteristics develop prematurely because of high circulating levels of androgen or estrogen. Question 30. How is precocious puberty different from pseudo-precocious puberty? True precocious puberty is usually idiopathic, but can be caused by central nervous system lesions. A general rule of thumb is that true precocious puberty causes testicular or ovarian enlargement, which does not occur in pseudo-precocious puberty. Ovarian cysts are not considered true ovarian enlargement. All patients with suspected precocious puberty should have a gonadotropin-releasing hormone, GnRH, stimulation test. If a dose of GnRH produces the typical pubertal response of increased FSH and LH, true precocious puberty is diagnosed. An MRI of the brain should be obtained to rule out 
CNS disease, such as hamartomas, tumors, cysts, and trauma as the cause. Question 31. What causes pseudoprecocious puberty? Pseudoprecocious puberty may be caused by exogenous hormones, adrenal tumors, congenital adrenal hyperplasia, such as 21-hydroxylase deficiency, hormone-secreting tumors, or McCune-Albright syndrome in females, which includes ovarian cysts, pseudoprecocious puberty, polyostotic fibrous dysplasia of the bone, and cafe au lait spots. Question 32. How is precocious puberty treated? Because premature puberty causes premature fusion of growth plates in the bone and can cause serious social problems for affected children, treatment is indicated. Treatment of any underlying disorders is indicated for pseudoprecocious puberty. For true idiopathic precocious puberty, treatment with long-acting GnRH agonists is indicated to suppress the pituitary hypothalamic axis and to delay the onset of puberty until an appropriate age. Question 33. What is the difference between a primary and secondary endocrine disorder? In primary disorders, the problem is in the gland. The hypothalamic pituitary axis is functioning appropriately. In primary hypothyroidism, for example, the thyroid gland does not function properly for whatever reason, but the pituitary and hypothalamus respond appropriately. Therefore, thyroid hormone is low, as in all cases of hypothyroidism, but TSH and thyroid-releasing hormone are high, the appropriate response from the pituitary and hypothalamus to low levels of thyroid hormone. In secondary disorders, the true dysfunction is outside of the gland itself. For example, in secondary hypothyroidism, thyroid hormone is low, but TSH and or thyroid-releasing hormone is also low, inappropriate in the setting of low thyroid hormone. If the pituitary is destroyed or surgically removed, secondary hypothyroidism results from low TSH. The thyroid gland functions well, but no TSH is available to stimulate it. To confuse the picture, the dysfunction may also be completely outside the endocrine axis. For example, heart failure that causes secondary hyperaldosteronism. This concept in endocrine gland dysfunction is quite important. Simple blood tests can localize the problem. You may be able to answer a USMLE question simply by reading through the various values for hormones and hormone-releasing factors and figuring out where in the hypothalamus pituitary target gland axis the problem lies. Question 34. What are the signs and symptoms of primary hyperaldosteronism, Kahn syndrome? What are the causes? Signs include hypertension, hypokalemia, hypernatremia, and edema. Symptoms include weakness and edema. Kahn syndrome is caused by an aldosterone-secreting adrenal neoplasm. Because it is a primary disease, renin levels are low. The rest of endocrine axis responds appropriately to gland dysfunction. Order a CT scan of the abdomen to look for an adrenal mass. The treatment is surgical removal of the tumor. Question 35. What causes secondary hyperaldosteronism? Secondary hyperaldosteronism is much more common than primary disease. It is due to low perfusion of the kidney, as in congestive heart failure, renal artery stenosis, dehydration, nephrotic syndrome, and cirrhosis. 
The key mechanism is that the kidney senses hypoperfusion and secretes renin. Therefore, the renin level is high. Treatment of the underlying disorder, if possible, resolves the hyperaldosteronism. Potassium levels may be normal or even high. Of note, hyperkalemia may be the cause of increased aldosterone release, just as hypocalcemia causes increased release of parathyroid hormone. Both are normal physiologic responses. Question 36. Give the classic clinical description of pheochromocytoma. How is it diagnosed? Look for wild swings in blood pressure, with some measurements dangerously high. Tachycardia, postural hypotension, headaches, sweating, flushing, dizziness, mental status changes, and or a feeling of impending doom, such as like a panic attack. The screening test is a 24-hour urine collection for metanephrines, homovanillic acid, and or vanillyl mandelic acid, catecholamine breakdown products that are abnormally elevated in the urine. If levels are high, order an abdominal CT scan to look for an adrenal mass. Surgical tumor removal is a treatment of choice after stabilization with alpha and then beta blockers. Question 37. Define diabetes insipidus. What are the two types? Diabetes insipidus, or DI, is a lack of antidiuretic hormone, ADH or vasopressin, effect in the body. Patients with DI secrete inappropriately dilute urine because of lack of ADH effect and may urinate up to 25 liters of urine per day, resulting in dehydration and hypernatremia. Such patients die rapidly if they are unable to drink water. Normally, when the body is dehydrated, ADH causes urine to become highly concentrated through retention of free water. In DI, the urine remains dilute even when the serum osmolarity is quite high as a result of dehydration. The two types are central and nephrogenic. Question 38. What causes central DI? Central DI is caused by a lack of ADH production by the posterior pituitary. Although it is often idiopathic, look for trauma, neoplasm, or sarcoid or granulomatous disease as the cause. Order a CT or MR scan of the head if indicated. Question 39. What causes nephrogenic DI? Nephrogenic DI is due to kidney unresponsiveness to ADH. Look for medications such as lithium and demeclocycline as the cause. Question 40. What diagnostic tests can reveal whether DI is central or nephrogenic? How are these conditions treated? Give the patient a dose of antidiuretic hormone and measure urine osmolarity. If central DI is the cause, urine osmolarity increases with ADH challenge. In nephrogenic DI, the urine remains inappropriately dilute after the patient is given ADH. Treatment for central DI is ADH replacement, given orally or as a nasal spray. Treatment for nephrogenic DI involves stopping any offending drug and giving a thiazide diuretic. ADH does not help. Although giving a diuretic to a patient with DI seems counterintuitive, it has the paradoxic effect of decreasing urine output. Question 41. Define the syndrome of inappropriate antidiuretic hormone secretion, SIADH. How is it diagnosed? The name says it all. ADH is released inappropriately. SIADH is a consideration in patients with hyponatremia 
and normal volume status. In SIADH, serum osmolarity is low, but urine osmolarity is high. There's inappropriate urine concentration. Look for the values of all electrolytes and lab tests to be low. The classic example is uric acid. Because of dilution of the serum with free water secondary to inappropriate ADH. Question 42. What causes SIADH? Central nervous system causes include stroke, hemorrhage, infection, and trauma. Medications that can cause it include narcotics, oxytocin, chlorpropamide, and anti-epileptic agents. Trauma. Pain is a powerful stimulus for ADH. Watch for the post-operative patient who is receiving fluids and often narcotics and has pain and then develops SIADH. Lung problems. Simple pneumonia or ADH-secreting small cell cancer of the lung can cause SIADH. Question 43. How is SIADH treated? Treat with water restriction. Stop intravenous fluids and restrict oral fluid intake. For step two purposes, do not give hypertonic saline unless the patient has active seizures before your eyes. You may cause osmotic demyelination syndrome, formerly called central pontine myelinolysis, from too rapid correction of the sodium level. Demeclocycline is sometimes used to treat SIDH if water restriction fails because it induces nephrogenic diabetes insipidus, which allows the patient to get rid of free water. That's the end of this chapter. A big thank you to Elsevier Incorporated, my publishing company behind USMLE Step 2 Secrets, for allowing us to put out this book in audio format. Please check out the other Inside the Boards podcasts over at insidetheboards.com, including the main Inside the Boards podcast and the Inside the Boards Study Smarter series for question breakdowns and tips on getting through medical school. And with that, we wrap up today's episode of USMLE Step 2 Secrets. Hi, this is Ted O'Connell. I just wanted to let you know real quick that when the time comes for you to begin studying for the USMLE Step 3, we actually now have a USMLE Step 3 subscription podcast. So I encourage you to check that out over at medpreptogo.com. We have sample episodes available. And even if you're studying for step two, you may actually find some of this content uh, really useful for your studies. So please do check it out.